This morning we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. But before we come to our text this morning, I have a question, particularly for the kids, but you all can play along if you'd like. What, or actually I'm going to ask you, do you have a favorite body part? What do you like about that body part so much? What does that body part do? I mean, I mean, think of our hands, like how cool that is that, you know, that our fingers move the way they do, that our thumbs, we have posable thumbs. Think of our, the way that we hear, the things that we can see. What's so cool about those different body parts that you might have a favorite? What if you were missing that body part? What would it be like? You know, some people, either through an accident, like, you know, I know people who are missing fingers because they were working with a saw or something and they got cut off. I have a a good friend of mine whose son was in a motorcycle accident recently and had to uh, and lost several of his fingers in the accident. Others are born missing different aspects, parts of their body, or maybe blind or deaf through accident or through birth. Now, we can live. We can learn to live without those parts, and many people do but it's hard, and their body never fully functions like it was made to function. Have you ever thought about that? Today, in our text from 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul uses the illustration of our physical bodies, right? He says, you know what it's like to have a body. You know what bodies are like, right? We have hair and ears and noses and mouths and chins and cheeks and eyes, fingers and hands and wrists and elbows and arms and legs and all kinds of other parts, internal parts, external parts. And he uses this illustration of our physical bodies to help us understand what it's like to be a part of the family of God, what it's like to be part of the church, the people of God, or what is often talked about in the New Testament, the body of Christ. And just like our own bodies, there are many parts of the body of Christ. And we each have our own special place and purpose. Not only do we have our own special place and purpose, but we also need the other parts of the body to function as God's people. Even the parts that we may think we don't need, like our appendix or something like that. Paul says that we all are needed in the body of Christ. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12 through 31. For just as the body is one... It has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, ooh, where, would, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, or again the Head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. As you've reminded us, Lord, we need those. Lord, we pray that you would help us. Help us to not only be transformed by your word, but conformed to it. Lord, help us to live in light of your very word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we continue our series, Shalom in the Home and Everywhere Else. Last week we looked at sacramental shalom. We began our section uh, on the church by going to Acts chapter 2, and we said that we often see the sacraments as purely personal experiences. But in reality, through the sacraments of the church, Jesus points us to him and to his shalom in the sacraments. In both baptism and the Lord's Supper, we experience a foretaste of the shalom that Jesus brings and is bringing in its fullness. And this morning, we begin to unpack what it looks like for those who have been baptized into God's family. Right? We, we read those words that, that Paul actually writes to the Corinthians. We were all baptized into one body, Paul reminds us. And his declaration, uh, we, we were reminded of this, uh, that we are baptized into God's family and his declaration of, this is my son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. 
that He pronounces over us for us to live together in this community of shalom? What does it look like for us who have been baptized into God's family and had the declaration of God's pleasure over us live in this community of shalom? You see, we often think of ourselves, I think, as either self-sufficient or not having individual gifts that others need, right? We either, have, we either think, as Paul might put it, too highly of ourselves or not highly enough. We might think of ourselves as either so self-sufficient that we, self-sufficient that we don't need anyone else or we have nothing to offer and give and so no one else needs us. You know, being self-sufficient can be a kind of a cause of a Western culture mindset, right? That we are individuals, that we are the ones that can get it done on our own, that we have pure autonomy in and of ourselves. But some other cultures who do not struggle with that as much, they might struggle with the flip side. They might struggle to see themselves as individuals, and the beauty and need of them as individuals for the greater good. And yet Paul reminds us that we aren't self-sufficient, right? We aren't those who are fully self-sufficient. We aren't those who are autonomous in our being. But at the same time, he reminds us that we are individuals and have an important role to serve and to play in the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, almost identical teaching that Paul has to our passage that we read today in 1 Corinthians, in verse 3, Paul exhorts us to have sober judgment about who we are, to not think too highly of ourselves. He's not referring to some subjective feelings about our level of faith. Sometimes we get caught up into that. We can have these subjective feelings of whether I'm, you know, whether I'm, you know, having a, uh, a deep enough relationship with, with Christ or we can go from, we can ebb and flow in terms of how we feel we are um, a part of God's family or, or how God loves us and those types of things. He's not talking about this subjective feelings about our level of faith, but he's talking about using Christ as our standard. A clear focus on Christ is key to thinking rightly about ourselves and should be the goal of our spiritual practice. You know, he's saying that all this is a call to profound humility, to to look to Christ and to see Christ rightly and to have sober judgment in terms of who we are and who Christ is. A clear focus on Christ is key to thinking rightly about ourselves and should be the goal of our spiritual practice. We can think rightly about ourselves. We can think rightly about our brothers and sisters of Christ if we're thinking rightly about ourselves. When we think rightly about ourselves with Christ as our standard, we'll be able to think accurately about others the body of Christ, and we can live and love rightly. And so in our text today, we, as that kind of the, the foundation for us to, to go to our text, we see that in Christ, we are able to live as a community of his shalom. In Christ, we are able to live as a community of his shalom. 
A community of his shalom in unity, diversity, and mutuality. Unity, diversity, and mutuality. First, unity in verses 12 through 13. For just as one body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so does with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul reminds us of our unity that we have in Christ Jesus. This unity, unity is mysterious, but it is real, right? This unity is a mysterious thing that we as individuals, that we as individual beings that have our, have our own loves and desires and wills are mysteriously, through the work of the Spirit, conformed in our loves, desires, and wills into unity with one another. And it's not just some illustration that Paul is making here. It's not just like he's like, let me find some cool illustration that would help us to understand what I'm talking about here, that would help us to live in a more close-knit manner, help us to understand what it means to live together as followers of Christ. But Paul is saying this, this is an actual reality. It's not just merely an illustration. This is an illustration that points to a reality that we have in Christ Jesus, that if we are those who follow Christ, that we have trusted in him for our salvation, that we've been baptized into one body, we share the same nature. We share the same being in Christ Jesus. We are united in Christ, right? Though there are many there's one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul is helping us to see this unity is brought about by the work of the Spirit. You know, and, and he reminds us that it's neither, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free. We are united into one body. Those who were diametrically opposed to one another, those who were very, very different from one another, both in religious upbringing, both in ethnic background, were brought together into one body. Those who were under oppression, and those who had freedoms were brought together in one body under Christ Jesus. He expounds on this in Galatians 3.28 and Colossians 3.11 where he reminds that there is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male or female, barbarian, Scythian. Right? He explains, reminds us that there's nothing that keeps us as those who are of one body baptized in Christ Jesus apart from one another. There's nothing that separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus and there's nothing that separates us from one another in Christ Jesus. Today, we'd be wise to add to the list that Paul speaks of in these different passages that I mentioned There is neither Democrat or Republican. 
liberal, or conservative. We are all baptized into one body. Right? As Paul will point out here in a a moment, we can't say to one or another, I don't need you. I don't like the way you're functioning in this, in this aspect of life, so I don't need you. I don't like the way that you are purporting yourself in this area of life, therefore I don't need you. No, Paul is not, is giving us no out here. In Christ, all those who have been baptized into Christ Jesus as we were reminded last week, are of a new creation, a new people, a new body. And our unity is not in our social background, our cultural background, our political thoughts or aspirations our ethnicity, our socioeconomic status. Our unity is not in any of those things. Whether we think mask wearing is good or not, our unity is not in any of those things. It is in Christ Jesus And so Paul reminds us that we are united. And yet, in that unity, Paul says, as much as we are united in Christ, there is still diversity. In verses 14 through 19, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. Right? There's diversity within this. While we are united and while we are one in Christ Jesus. This oneness does not take away the diversity of who we are. There exists a very profound unit and real unity, but there is a corresponding real diversity. These members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body. Right, Paul reminds us the foot can't say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And then he goes on to say, think about this. How crazy would this be if the whole body was an eye? That'd be pretty disgusting. It'd be scary. See big eyes just kind of, you know, floating around. Right? He says, what if there's just the whole body were an ear? And so he reminds us that it's not just our unity that is important, but there is also this importance of diversity. F.F. Bruce commenting on this passage, he says, diversity, not uniformity, is the mark of God's handiwork. It is so in nature, it is so in grace too, that, and nowhere more so than in the Christian community. 
Here are many men and women with the most diverse kinds of parentage, environment, temperate, and capacity. Not only so, but since they became Christians, they have been endowed by God with a great variety of spiritual gifts as well. Yet because and by means of that diversity, all can cooperate for the good of the whole. You see, sometimes in the church, we get focused, laser focused on our unity. Why can't we all just think the same? Why can't we all just act the same? Why can't we all just understand this the same way? We all should be united in this. It shouldn't matter what our background was. It shouldn't matter what, how, we, how we see things differently from different cultural perspectives. We need unity. Yes. Absolutely. But in that unity is not because of, unity is not because of one particular understanding. For those of you who are Star Trek friends, it's not because we become the Borg, right? It's not because we all are assimilated into this one nature or this one understanding of that we're all exactly the same. We don't become all an eye. We don't become all an ear. But we are, we are assimilated into Christ Jesus. We are brought into the body of Christ, and yet in the body, there is diversity. There is not uniformity. God's glory is revealed in the diversity of his people. This means that as we measure ourselves by Christ's standard, we will be ourselves. We will be who God created us to be in the body. Being in Christ's body will maximize our uniqueness if we allow it. And we must allow and be careful to allow others to be themselves as well, who God created them to be. Right? If we're a finger, we shouldn't expect everyone else to be a finger. We don't want everybody else to be a finger. We need some legs and some feet to get us where those fingers need to go to work. One member of the body may perform its own function well. Paul says that, hey, eyes do great things. Ears do great things. But that does not mean that it can disperse with the services of the other members which perform different functions, functions that it cannot perform. And so we have to see that in this call to unity, in this reality of unity that we have in Christ Jesus, this unity is not uniformity, but this unity takes place within diversity. And that's kind of what makes it so hard sometimes is because our unity is not around the same giftedness, 
the same understanding of politics or other aspects of, of our cultural understanding and norms. Yes, all captive to the word of God, and yet we will all see some things differently because of those backgrounds that F.F. Bruce talked about. And so our unity is one that is also in diversity. William Barclay says that whenever we begin to think about our own importance in the Christian church, the possibility of really Christian work is gone. It's not about ourselves. It's not conforming everybody to ourselves. It's about everyone conforming to Christ and for Christ using the diversity of the gifts that he has given us, the diversity of the people that he has brought into his church. And finally, we're reminded it's not just in our unity and our diversity, but it's also a mutuality, verses 21 through 31. We must not stress the truth of diversity without grasping the balance, balancing truth of our mutuality. Each member belongs to the others, as Paul says in Romans 12, 5. Each member belongs to the others. Our text here beautifully emphasizes this mutuality by pointing out that when one member rejoices, the others rejoice. When one member hurts, the others hurt. M many of you have experienced this yourselves, and you'll remember just a couple years ago, uh, my wife Megan broke her wrist pretty badly. Had to go a whole week before they could repair it and set it surgically. And I'll tell you what, as someone who had a up-close and personal view of what it means for one part of the body to hurt that causes the rest of the body to hurt. I saw it on full display. Her body could not sleep. Her body could not be comfortable. Her body would cry out in pain because of her bones moving every time she moved. And Paul is reminding us of that, that within the body of Christ, that is how we are supposed to respond to one another, that when one person is honored, we rejoice. We put on a party, we throw a parade, we are excited for them because in the body, they are honored even when we aren't being honored. And when someone is hurting, we hurt alongside them. We mourn with them. We help carry them when they aren't able to carry themselves. Those who think rightly about themselves 
in light of who Christ is, discern the one body and recognize that they do not exist for themselves. And as a result, when we understand that, we are free to develop and use our gifts that God has given us. And in thinking rightly about our gifts, we must consider a few simple truths. One is that we all have them. No Christian is left out. You may not have one of the gifts specifically mentioned in our text here, but you do have, we do have, according to God's word, at least one spiritual gift. This, gift, this list is not exhaustive. If we look at here and we're like, oh, I don't see anything here that I see, sense that God has gifted me, and that's okay. It's not an exhaustive list. And finally, something that happens often in the Christian church is that gifts are not to pigeonhole us. Have you ever taken a spiritual gifts inventory? I did when I was young and growing up, and I came out with, these are your spiritual gifts. And for years, I kind of thought, well, these are my, my gifts. How am I, I, I'm not using them. I don't see how God has gifted me in these things necessarily. Or I'd find, use one and like the others not, not see the others being used. But what happens is we sometimes pigeonhole ourselves and we forget what Paul says that they are administered by the Holy Spirit in varying degrees and styles and should be simply and humbly be exercised by the Spirit. And you see, these gifts that we are given, spiritual gifts, are not static because the Holy Spirit is the one who gives them in different, varying degrees, in different ways. And so we need to be continually open to the way that God is gifting us and calling us to use those gifts. Not only can no member do without other members but even the parts that seem weaker are indispensable, Paul says. Right? That gift doesn't seem to be very needed. Paul says it's indispensable. You know, that, that person doesn't really seem like they can, con they can contribute much. Paul says they are indispensable. Weaker is a comparative term, might maybe even translated as sick, and the word emphasizes the apparently complete unimportance of these members. I joked earlier about the appendix. What does it do? Why do we need it? I mean, we take it out to seemingly no problem for our bodies. And Paul is saying there are actually members of the church, of God's people, that are kind of like the appendix, we don't know why they're there. We don't know what they do. But Paul says they're indispensable to the body. There are no unimportant members. And Paul does not speak of them as just an addition or even a welcome addition, but they are indispensable. The body cannot do without them.
Paul ends this section by saying that we are to earnestly desire the higher gifts. He's saying that we are actually to desire that God might bless us with these quote-unquote higher gifts. And yet there's something even better, Paul says. Something that all followers of Christ are to seek and can obtain through the work of the Spirit. And he ends by saying, and I will show you what that is. I will show you a still more excellent way. And he goes on for the next chapter, one that probably everyone in this church has heard before, that you've heard at almost every wedding that you've been to, the love chapter. Right? Paul says that even if you don't have these higher gifts, even if you struggle to know what are your gifts that the Lord has given you, I will show you a higher way, he says. One that everyone who's a part of the body of Christ can and should display. And that is love. In Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, Paul tells us how we are to live out this love. We are to bear with one another in love, with humility, patience, and gentleness. This has been a divisive time in our country. And unfortunately, it has been a divisive time in the church. But for all those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no division. Christ has called you to be his, baptized us into one body, and calls us to live as one body in unity, in diversity, in mutuality, in love, with humility, patience, and gentleness. Let us be known by our love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder that we are united together in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that separates those who are baptized into this one body. Lord, we pray that you would remind us of your great love for us and our call to love one another in humility, kindness, and gentleness. Lord, may it be so by the work of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.